some people would look at this and say, why even bother? Why bother to keep looking for a woman who has now been gone longer than she was alive? Well, maybe because a cold case specialist like Mike Wilson might take a look at it. Of course, as I read through these things, I see things that, well, that create questions in my mind. He's seen impossible cases solved before, cases that made the family left behind say, Thanks for, for never giving up, because it's ne obviously never too late. And eventually make us admit, I was not expecting that. I'm Fox 8's Bob Buckley, and this is The Day Helen Disappeared. As painful as it may be to think about, most of us are eventually forgotten. We live our lives and are special to family and that small group of friends. But when we die and the years begin to melt away, so does our place in the hearts and minds of those left behind. A generation or two down the line, the generation that perhaps never met us, well, to them, were at best simply a story and maybe a faded old photograph. Helen Dalton was getting dangerously close to being forgotten when that call came into our newsroom. Fox 8 News, this is Derek. A woman named Nancy called to ask us if anyone ever figured out what happened to her former next-door neighbor, the one who had dropped off her daughter at Grimsley High School and then just vanished. But that was back in 1963. How could they ever figure out what happened so many years later? You know, one thing that we have now that they didn't have back then is DNA. So we do have um, a national database that can compare um, unidentified remains with living family members. That's Caroline Holliday, the detective with the Greensboro Police Department on whose desk the Dalton file fell not too long ago. I've had several cases where I've had to contact adult uh, children whose one or other parent never came home and they were grown up thinking one thing and then you tell them that no, I believe foul play happened 30 years ago. I've seen the struggle. Besides DNA technology, the other thing Holiday and her team have now, have always had, is a lot of circumstantial evidence. There's a lot of red flags and a lot of suspicious things. When Helen disappeared, her husband Don didn't report that to the police. It wasn't until Helen's sister drove down from Michigan after getting suspicious that something bad had happened to Helen. Only then, in August, four months after Helen disappeared, was it reported to the police, and even then it was that sister, Edith Oberg, who reported it. Did Don Dalton have something to hide? In some ways, he didn't act like it. He allowed the police to search their home. They found most of Helen's clothes still there, along with her glasses and dentures, the only pairs of each that she had, but they didn't find any reason to arrest Don. And Don was there watching as the police brought in an anthropology team to dig up the well that was on their property after a couple of anonymous tips claimed that Helen's body might be in the well behind their house back near Don's workshed. Go for it, the local newspaper quoted Don as telling the police at the time. I say dig, dig with all your heart. They're not going to find anything because she walked out the door and never looked back, he supposedly told them. Although the police never arrested Don, there were things about him 
that made them wonder. He remarried a woman in Las Vegas in 1964, the woman that he was seeing here. There's a note in the case file that says, Mr. Dalton admits that he has been dating her for over a year, referring to the woman he married in Las Vegas less than a year after Helen disappeared. And then there on the final page of the case file that Detective George Say turned in just before lunchtime on August 27, 1963, Detective Say wrote first with a green pen, then later switching mid-sentence to blue ink, polygraph exam refused by Dalton. And he signs it with his initials. G-H-S. If it wasn't Mr. Dalton and it was someone else, it would still have to be, if you do the math, it would have to be someone who was in their probably 80s by now. That's only if that person was in their 20s at the time. If someone killed or abducted Helen and they were 44, eight years younger than Helen was when she disappeared, they would be 100 years old now themselves. Some people would look at this and say, why even bother? Well, to bring closure for a family. Um, we have a number of cold case missing persons where bodies were never found that the families are calling up here somewhat often and wanting to know. They never got closure. Hi, I may I speak with Bonnie, please? But when we called Bonnie, Helen and Don Dalton's daughter, the one Helen dropped off at Grimsley High School the morning she disappeared, well, Bonnie had made her peace with the situation and moved on. It was our executive producer, Derek, who got up with her, and Bonnie told him... She told me it was so long ago. Her father passed away 20 years ago. And at this point, it was just kind of water under the bridge. I was not expecting that. But remember, Bonnie's children are those grandchildren Helen never met. The ones for whom Helen is a story and an old faded photograph. How many cold cases are out there? Oh, gosh. Uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. It's not a small number, though. No, it's not. That's Mike Wilson. He was a cold case expert, spent years investigating them for the SBI, the State Bureau of Investigation. We speak for those that can't speak for themselves anymore. And that's, that's why I do this after I've been retired almost 15 years. And that's why I still do this. He looks like the kind of cop you might see on a TV show. He would have fit in perfectly beside Dennis Fran's character, Andy Sipowitz, on NYPD Blue, except Wilson is the better-groomed version, with his hair always in place and his tie forever neatly knotted and up against his neck. He's seen dozens of these cases over the years. The focus isn't necessarily about trying to put somebody in jail. The focus is about finding a, a resolution to the event for a lot of reasons. First of all, there is the injustice of someone taking a life, a human life, uh, outside the law. There's no limitations, no statutory limitations on investigating homicide. And by, by law, we are obligated to do that. And in a case like this, he begins at the beginning. So assembling the old information is the first thing that we would do. And the reason that we do that review is because there's, uh, there's certain solvability factors. Um, and the solvability factors play a very large part into how we proceed 
in these things. For example, whether we're going to proceed at all. We're talking about whether, for example, and uh, whether new, uh, whether DNA technology has been applied to the case, whether the evidence in the case uh, is new, newly discovered or if there is new evidence in the case, we kind of assess that and, and say, okay, based on what we have now, do we have a chance of clearing this case in some way, shape, or form? But surprisingly, the biggest obstacle to clearing the case can be the family of the person who is missing. A lot of these things have already been passed for a long period of time, and sometimes there's not a lot of interest in, in, in a resolution. That seemed to be exactly the situation when we called Bonnie. A, a lot of times the, the, the mentality is this. That was a long time ago. Um, those things are passed. Um, these were real painful for us to deal with at that time and we've made some peace with it and you reopening this um, is making life difficult again. It's an emotional pain that they don't want to have to go through again. And as I sift through the case file with Wilson at the SBI offices on the south end of Greensboro, I understand that sentiment. Um, so yeah, I just want to kind of go through this and get your reaction to certain stuff as we as you, as you see it. So this is the excavation in 93. I guess this is the well, and it began to collapse. It's been more than half a century since Helen Dalton disappeared, and we don't seem much closer to finding out what happened than we were on April 4th of 1963. To me, it's a long series of dead ends. Well, the thing is, is that you may, you may see it that way. But even in the conversations that I've just had with the investigator, um, there are things that could be looked at. For example, men and women sometimes get divorced. Uh, there is information that passes between people that everybody thinks is forgotten, and they're suddenly, and they feel compelled to tell what they know. Um, sometimes um, if there's a a presentation in the news and it jars someone's memory and they suddenly say you know I really need to report that because I was at a different place in my life then and I didn't want to be involved in that but now I feel like this is my way of making up for some of the things that I've done in the past let me come forward with this information but there are problems inherent in investigating any case this old witnesses they die they become mentally or physically incapable of talking about it Sometimes they just forget, and ultimately, sometimes they don't want, they don't want to get involved anymore. I point out to Wilson the things that stick out to me as a journalist, the things that look like an obvious place to start. Helen used to handwrite letters to her sister in Michigan. Suddenly, after her disappearance, they came typewritten. I know this, having done this for a long time. The first time you start making assumptions on anything, you're usually going to be wrong. And never say never. You always have to keep your mind open to things. Is that something that you'd consider? Yeah, I'd consider that. The things that you've talked about, would I consider those things? Yes. But they're not conclusive. And they're not absolute. And there could have been something developed most recently that would have caused her, for example, let's say for a short period of time, uh, a victim has an injury that would not allow her to do the handwriting. And she used a typewriter for a period of time. But wouldn't Helen say something about that in the letter she typed? Because 
she never did. Again, that's an assumption, right? Is it, it okay, right. Or maybe she spoke to someone on the phone, listen, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to be typing this stuff because I hurt my wrist and I've got uh, a problem and I can't, um, I can't write right now, so I'm going to just type this stuff to you. You can't draw conclusions. You go with what you, what you can prove. You go with what you know. Can you speculate in terms of what may have happened to help you develop the truth? Yes. Ultimately, we're not out to prove anything. We're out to find truth in all things that we do, and that's all. It's not our job to try and convict anyone, to prove someone guilty or innocent. Our job is to find the truth of the circumstance and what happened. It's like trying to guess at what a puzzle looks like when you only have a handful of pieces in place. It seems looking at this that the chances of ever getting a resolution are extremely remote. To that I would say never say never. But if you're betting on a case, this might not be the one you're betting on. Well, you know, I've, I've had cases that I didn't think that would develop, that I, that, you know, I thought, no chance. Cases like the murder of Rhonda Blaylock. She was such a sweet and kind person. Rhonda was 14 years old when she and a friend were walking by a bowling alley in the small town of Rural Hall outside Winston-Salem when a man came up in a blue pickup truck. He offered them a ride. I guess they never dreamed that it would end like it did. It ended in the nightmare Rhonda's mother, Rebecca Blaylock, has been enduring ever since her only child was brutally killed. People ask me, how many grandchildren do you have? And I say, I don't have any grandchildren because I don't have any children. Rhonda was murdered in 1980, and her mother, Rebecca, has since died as well. But the Surrey County Sheriff's Department never closed the case, and they told us several years ago... If the suspect sees this or was in the sound of our voice, make no mistake, we are coming for you. But this was such an anomaly for Surrey County. It's the place where actor Andy Griffith grew up in the town of Mount Airy. And his iconic show, where he played the sheriff of a small North Carolina town called Mayberry, was a thinly veiled depiction of the idyllic life most people led around here. In a lot of ways, little has changed there. Griffith patterned almost all of his famous show as the sheriff of Mayberry after his hometown, and more than half a century after the show went off the air in its original run, the town still lives off the reputation and tourism as the friendly, innocent little community tucked into the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. But for nearly 40 years, there was no resolution to Rhonda's case. I would just like to ask, you know, why? Why her? That's Jeff Schaus. We're sitting with him and his younger sister, Sherry Thigpen. They were Rhonda Blaylock's first cousins, just about her age. And you can't escape the fact that Sherry looks like what you'd imagine Rhonda would look like if Rhonda had had the chance to grow up. She and Jeff were very close to Rhonda when they were kids. Well, that was the biggest thing over the years, it's just not knowing. I mean, we would think about it from time to time and just say, you know, I hope someday something like this will happen. Something like what Sherry had just learned in August of 2019 as she took her son to college. Like I said, I was uh, moving my son in at ECU on Friday, and I got a text from a friend of mine and said that they made an arrest, and I was absolutely shocked. I was thrilled. Surrey County Sheriff Steve Hyatt and his team finally had a breakthrough 39 years after Rhonda was killed. No case that any law enforcement agency gets, we close. 
they are always reviewed they are always looked into nothing's ever dropped don't ever lose hope thank y'all that's wonderful that they never let it go robert atkins was 23 when rhonda disappeared he is now 62 and charged with her rape and murder. Finally, a little bit of closure after nearly four decades. But is there really ever any closure in a situation like this? When your innocent child is murdered? Or for someone like Bonnie Dalton, whose mother drops her off at high school one day late in her freshman year, telling her she'll come back to get her for a dentist appointment, but is never seen or heard from again? No chance to say goodbye. No last I love yous. The daily presence in any child's life simply ripped away. If the mystery were finally answered, it may not provide closure, but could help the family heal and move past it. That's why cold case investigator Mike Wilson believes in this investigation 56 years after Helen disappeared. Ultimately, there should always be hope of finding justice for those that have been wronged. And some people would argue, oh yeah, this is a waste of time. Um, but the truth is, is that um, it's not a waste of the time to the families and to the children that are left behind and to the husbands who are now without a, a wife. There is plenty of speculation on what happened to Helen Retired Greensboro Police Captain Jim Seifries offers one. Sometimes people leave on their own. In this case, Mrs. Dalton could have left, changed her identity, lived somewhere else. But even he doesn't really believe that. Neither does the detective assigned to the case now, Caroline Holliday. I think a lot of times with a lot of these cold case people think, oh, they just wanted to go off and start a new life. That the TV shows and television shows make it look so easy. Real life to get a social security number, you've got to survive. How do you live? You have to feed yourself. You have to have a home somewhere. That takes money. If your social security number hasn't been run or used in umpteen years, I just, people don't just disappear off the face of the earth. I'm not saying it's never happened. And is that what happened here? Do you think we'll ever know what happened to Helen Dalton? I don't. I think even if we found her remains, what are we going to have? I just think this is one of those, there are probably thousands, unfortunately, across the United States where um, there's just never going to be a final answer. For me and executive producer Derek Stetzler, that's difficult to take. Is this a story you're going to wonder about for years? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just because it's one of those stories that only gets better with time because the longer it doesn't have closure, the more it makes you wonder. What happened? I wanted to come up with a solution of some sort for Bonnie and Don Dalton Jr. And we weren't able to do that. And I feel bad about that. And I, I mean, I, I kind of level with the family in a sense, because at the same time that I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that we weren't able to solve this, we weren't able to get any solid leads or anything like that, and we may never, this was their family member. And they never got any true answers, any real answers. And they had to live their lives. And now it's you know, years later, and while they remember it, it's not what their life is all about anymore. They have moved on, looking forward to the lives of their children and grandchildren, remembering Helen Dalton, but leaving behind the day Helen disappeared. If you like this podcast, please rate it, leave a comment, or even tell a friend. That's the way the word gets out about these things. 
The Day Helen Disappeared was written and reported by me, your host, Fox 8's Bob Buckley, with help from Fox 8 executive producer Derek Stetzler. Chris Weaver is our producer and editor. The executive producer of this podcast is Kevin Daniels.